2: This podcast may contain explicit language and feel free to use explicit language when you review The Gist on iTunes. It helps other people find the show. <laughs> August 13th, 2019. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. Maybe you've seen one of these compilation tapes of Joe Biden's recent gaffes going around. Uh, If this were the 80s, they'd be sold on late night TV. But we get them for free on Twitter. Here's a select few from, uh, I don't know, just within the last couple weeks. This is from about a three minute clip
1: video. I'll play about four of them. Poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids. I found that, Julio, excuse me, the secretary. We sat together in many meetings. My wife is a full-time teacher, taught all all during being when we were vice president. We choose truth over facts. You know, I I, I looked at it anyway. I that's what I think. My plan. I know what my plan does. But you know,
2: you may have heard some analysis that is going around about these gaffes. And it goes like this. Well, I mean, what do we expect? Biden always has had gaffes. Or, nah, this is nothing new. Biden gaffed every time he ran for president and as vice president. No, 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 no. These gaffes, these current gaffes are qualitatively different. The old Biden gaffes,
1: Biden gaff classic, if you will, were statements like this. Romney wants to let the, he said in the first hundred days, he's going to let the big banks once again write their own rules. Unchain Wall Street. They're going to put you all back in chains.
2: Oh, the right hated that one. But that is what Biden meant to say. He said, unchain Wall Street. His brain went, ooh, maybe there's something to riff on there. And out of his mouth came the exact words that he meant to utter. Was it advisable? Ah, Maybe not. Was it rash? You can make the case. But it was what he wanted to say. Then there was this one, speaking to the president, or in Gaelic, the Taoiseach of
1: Ireland. But the Taoiseach knows a lot about it. His mom uh, lived in, uh, in Long Island for 10 years or so. Uh, God rest her soul. And uh, um, although she's, wait, your mom's, still, your mom's still alive as your dad passed. God bless her soul. Whoops. But again, it is what
2: he wanted to say. He shouldn't have wanted to say it just based on the facts, but he wanted to say it. He was wrong to presume that Cowan's mom was dead and
1: realized it too, unlike Mrs. Cowan late. Next, let us consider this one. Now is the time to heed the timeless advice from Teddy Roosevelt. Speak softly and carry a big stick. End of quote. I promise you. The president has a big stick. I promise you. And Obama's standing there like, well, that's just true.
2: What's the problem with that? No problem there. Yeah, fact check that one. You might uh, give new meaning to the pants on fire label. But, you know, I guess we could all say that Joe Biden in that case could have used a better choice of words. But that is my point. He did, Biden classic gaffe, did actually rely on him choosing the words and the words he said up there in his brain came out there through his lips and maybe he regretted it afterwards or people criticized him for it. But that loop, there was all the synapses were connected something else is going on these days. The current gaffes are of a different quality. They are not the gaffes of the rash. They are the gaffes, we have to admit it, of the cognitively challenged. I can't diagnose exactly what's going on there. Also, keep in mind, Biden, a former stutterer, maybe that has something to do with it, but it's not like the old gaffes. The old Biden gaff was a gaff of commission. These are gaps of omission, as in his mental processing is eliminating some steps so the words aren't coming out as he'd want them to come out, as opposed to the old way, which just meant they weren't coming out in the optimally articulated way. The etymology of the word gaffe is interesting. It's borrowed from French gaffe, but then it wends its way through Middle French, through old Acatan, Acetan, I don't know. But it probably derives from the phrase to seize. And that is actually what's going on with Biden these days. He's seizing up. These gaffes are neurologically misfiring, not logical misstatements and I do think they're going to keep him from his quest to seize the presidency. On the show today, in the spiel, the worst disease gives us the best news. But first, Maria Kanakova has been known to study a long con to dissect its intricacies, but also to make an instantaneous read at the poker table where she might calculate pot odds, opponent strategy, and overall tournament placement. Does she have a long attention span or a short one? Or better yet, attention spans, is that even a legit topic? Maybe I should put it this way. Attention spans, is that bullshit? Up next. The Defender is a beautiful car, but beauty is, of course, sometimes only skin deep. Not with the Defender. Let's talk about the interior. It's robust, built with integrity. Yes, it's designed iconically, the exterior. That's what compelled me. My, my neighbor Jay says, Mike, you see what's on the block? It's a Defender. And I look down the block, and indeed there is. And me and Jay, the neighbor, and Michelle, we gather around the Defender. We peer in the window. I have to say... I don't want to make this a little too tawdry, but we lust, or perhaps we gvel. To drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. We looked at the cargo capacity, more room for the gear. There's really a wide range of adventures the Defender family... Features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. Push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com slash Defender. So the other day I was thinking, squirrel? No, I wasn't. It's just that, like so many people in the modern world, my attention span is not what it was or what I hope it would be or what some mythical notion of attention span tells me it should be, which is, you know, reading Middlemarch from start to finish without ever looking at my phone. Joining me now is Maria Konnikova, who is literally right now looking at her phone. I (laughs) am. What's on it?
0: Do you know why? Why don't you see what's on it?
2: It is squirrel hoarding. <laughs> yes, I was
0: looking up the statistics after yeah. you said squirrel of what percentage of nuts that squirrels hoard, they forget where they hoarded them. So you
2: were quickly, one word triggered something, you quickly had to flit away to that thing it reminded you of. Exactly. I think this is a great way to be. I mean, this is why I do this show. But let, let me properly introduce you in case our listeners have a sufficient attention span to attend to this information. Maria Konnikova is the author of The Confidence Game, and she is author of the forthcoming The Biggest Bluff. She also joins us to talk in our segments called Is That Bullshit? And today we will play Is That Bullshit?, are attention spans shrinking. Thank you for coming in, Maria.
0: Thank you so much. And I was not able on that one website to no. find the answer to the squirrel hoarding question, but I remember reading it and it's something like squirrels forget 70% of all nuts. Something along those <laughs> lines. It was it was, it was it was it was it was a huge percentage, and I just thought it was the funniest thing in the yeah. world.
2: So what is what what happens to all those other nuts? Do Who some knows? other squirrels find them?
0: Maybe some other squirrels find them. Maybe they become trees.
2: Yeah, that's right. That's where all the trees come from. So here's the here's what I want to do before we get to the idea of attention spans yeah. shrinking. It seems to me that the idea of an attention span might be something of an artificial construct. And it also seems to me that maybe it's recent. I don't know that in me- medieval times they talked about it. Am I right or wrong? Do you know anything about this? I do, actually. So, yes, if you're
0: talking about psychologically speaking, there is a specific term known as the attention span. It is a total bullshit construct. Oh, cool. Yes. So you're absolutely right. Did they worry about it in medieval times? Absolutely, they did. In medieval times, you have... <laughs> well,
2: what with Gutenberg <laughs> and the you kids have, these days?
0: So you have texts from monasteries with monks who say that they're distractible around noon yeah. and that they lament that they can't focus for as long as they need to on their prayers. And they call this Asidia, the noonday demon.
2: So I guess they say that attention spans are shrinking because we have so many things to grab our attention. Have they been saying this for a while?
0: They have so I actually was able to find Walter Benjamin back in 1968 <laughs> lamenting how books were giving way to movies. Yes, and um, this is in his "The Work of Art in the Age of Mechanical Reproduction," and he says that concentration, which is required for true art, is being replaced by distraction. It is probably And this true. is horrible. Yeah, and this is horrible. And that movies are the devil, basically. It's he doesn't good... say that movies are the devil, but. This but is, that's the conclusion. Know, a
2: good uh, fifteen years before the remote control though. So you still Absolutely. have to get up to change. Absolutely.
0: The and this is something that we've heard over I mean, McLuhan says this and today we have it, you know, basically from everyone you can read. I was able to find, I think, at least five New York Times op eds from the last five years mm-hmm. about our attention span shrinking. And there's a number that's actually bandied about yes. quite often that says that it's shrunk from twelve minutes in Two thousand to eight point two five in twenty fifteen. I hate when
2: they express minutes in some in decimals. Yes, but this is wrong actually. Okay. Yeah, there's. (laughs) I don't know what the. So you don't you don't
0: actually have to worry about this because um, there was one very persistent journalist who tried to track down this statistic, found that it was quoted from Statistic Brain. contacted Statistic Brain, got no reply, tried to figure out where Statistic Brain what got it is statistic from. Statistic Brain? It's a website. Oh, okay. Yeah. So basically, no one knows where this statistic came from, and yeah. there's no study. Or maybe someone knows, it.
2: but they weren't paying attention. Yes, exactly. And no one was paying attention down. to yeah. him.
0: And it looks like he really doggedly tried to find it out. So I will defer to him and say that that statistic is not based on any study.
2: Also, when they say attention span is this many minutes, are they saying at that point, the median person can no longer pay attention? I don't even think that's what colloquially we mean when we say attention spans are shrinking.
0: I I couldn't agree more. And no one really defines it. What does it actually mean? So um, there was one study that I found, this is kind of the One of the first instances, if not the first, it's the first one that I could find, but I'm not sure it's actually the first Mm -hmm. um, that tried to that's been cited as kind of our 10 to 15 minute attention span. This was a 1978 review by Hartley and Davis of note taking during college lectures, Mm -hmm. and they found that note taking decreases, but it was actually misquoted in the future because they found that it decreases in the last 10 minutes of the lecture, not after 10 to 15 minutes. And that the reason it decreases is because the content of the lectures tends not to be as note intensive near the end as it was in the beginning because you're providing a lot of new information and then you're wrapping up the class right and everyone's getting ready to go so it's not that they've drifted away that actually the main difference with note-taking and with the amount of attention that students pay happens to be the teacher and so this is the first instance that i could find of this 10 to 15 minute attention span and it's not even measuring really attention span
2: how else would they study it? How else have they tried that seems like somewhat clever. Let's look at a class and we'll see when yeah so so
0: they they've looked at a bunch of stuff um they do the
2: eyeball tracking yeah thing? so
0: eyeball tracking has been done, but that's only good. so this is why this is why it's so hard as a psychologist to study attention span because you can do eyeball tracking studies for concrete things mm-hmm. but it's very high to do eyeball tracking and have someone sit in this machine which is actually very uncomfortable i've done these um and if you haven't i don't recommend it you know you, you i have saw to... clockwork
2: orange it must be like that
0: yes it's exactly like that but imagine doing that for an hour right right so all of these studies tend to be very short like the tasks that you do are a few minutes long right and so even though eye tracking is a great measure um, it's much more useful for task switching, for uh, multitasking for those types of things, for distractions. how how well do you filter distractions? And less so when it comes to, you know our attention spans in general, how long are you able to pay attention? And I think the reason that it's so hard to find a way to study it is because the concept doesn't really make sense. All of these questions never get asked, um, and there's a psychologist whose work I don't think we've talked about in the past, called um, Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi, who studies remember. yes, who studies flow, the concept of flow, which is kind of how engaged are you in something? Are you feeling one with it? Are you kind of in the moment? If you're experiencing flow you can pay attention indefinitely to a lot of things because you can experience flow when you're doing something that requires mastery but you can also experience it when you're collating letters if you you know if you get into a rhythm yeah. and you actually kind of get into in the zone yeah. you know it it has little to do with the complexity of the task and everything to do with your mindset and when you're in a flow state you can pay attention forever. And if you're being distracted, if you can't engage, if you're not actually able to get into that state because there are lots of things happening and you can't hook your attention initially, mm-hmm. that's when you have distractibility problems. But it's not that you can't pay attention. It's that you basically didn't have the initial engagement
2: is that, to begin with. Is that... Different from how it used to be, or no. what things were like when we I were kids. I think this is. I think that? this is
0: why the monks are uh, lamenting it hundreds yeah. of years ago, because it's always difficult to hook your attention. Now, what is different today is that there are many more things competing for our attention, right. and so it becomes more difficult for that in- initial attention hook to happen. Yeah. I mean, we've always had things competing for our attention. What the modern world does incredibly well is hijack our attention. So yes. when you say, you know, the MTV and it's all of that, it doesn't mean that our attention spans are shorter. It means that they're very good at capturing our attention and they capture it over and over again. And so we live in a more stimulated and stimulus laden environment, which makes it more difficult to engage and makes it unnecessary. So for people who've never had deep engagement with anything, they don't realize how that that might be actually incredibly rewarding, Mm -hmm. that they might be able to get something out of it, because they've never had to. It's kind of, it's one of these things where if you've never had to be bored, you don't realize that actually you know, sitting quietly can can lead to a
2: lot of creative insights
0: that yeah, so I've you heard. can have. I mean,
2: my earbuds are plugged in and exactly. fully charged, so yeah. I don't have to live through that hell. But, but yeah.
0: people have always been scared of this, right? Yes. When the radio first was invented, people thought, oh, oh, you know, now no one's reading books. Everyone wants to sit and listen to the radio. Sure. the Green world.
2: Hornet. You kidding me? Absolutely. It's compelling stuff. So,
0: so I think that these fears always kind of right. will come up every generation. I think that, you know, there's always reason for them. And we do need to be aware that this exists there was one study that was just done by by scientists at Cal State and they looked at middle high school and college students who um, were studying in their natural study environments so that could be their bedroom you know living room kitchen wherever wherever they were doing their homework and they had um, they basically looked at how well they studied um, and how much technology they had around them as they studied right. and so, They had things, computer, cell phone, TV, music players, video game consoles, video games, and then they looked at how many windows were open on their computer if they had a computer at the beginning of observation, um, and what exactly was open. Was it Facebook, chat, word processor, PowerPoint, YouTube, etc.? And so they found that basically... In 15 minutes of observation, they were able to stay on task about 65% of the time. So that's 10 out of 15 minutes. Yeah. What seemed to predict the ability to pay attention, though, wasn't so much how many things you had around you, and it was more so what your study habits were. So students who had better study habits were better able to study.
2: Oh, okay. (laughs) It does seem to me, it does seem to me that... Undergirding these assumptions are that we've changed, but it's since no one has established a baseline. I mean, a couple of different things. I guess you could say the kids of the '70s or '80s versus the kids of today, but they're different. They're literally different people. Yep. But no one has the baseline. No one did the test of here is the attention span in 1988. Right here, and how do no, you do and that? And you can't do that. I think there might be one way. Okay, which is in the future. If um, a printed text, it has to be an, an electronic printed text source like Kindle can find the statistics of a book that's opened and the pages are read. I guess there I guess it could get screwed okay. up if you open the Kindle and don't go through it, but there probably in 10 years will be a way to tell um how quickly people went through a book mm-hmm. from uh 2017 versus 2027. Yeah. But other than that, I don't know how you really test. It.
0: I don't know. And the only the only study that actually looked at attention span that had numbers that I could get on board with, looked at global attention span, Uh which has nothing to do with individuals' ability to pay attention, but just looked at global trends. Basically, how long do Twitter trends last? How long do people talk about certain topics? And they found that that actually decreased. Yeah, um, no kidding. But that's something totally different. That's not individual attention spans. But I could see why someone would look at that and say, oh, we can't pay attention anymore. So they looked at Twitter. No, the,
2: the memes have just gotten better. Exactly. And they're coming fast and furious. So, and we got this guy in the White House. He keeps doing something new every day.
0: <laughs> that's exactly right. So um, in this particular study that was published in Nature Communications, <laughs> they looked at Twitter right before Trump. 2013 to 2016, and books from Google Books going back 100 years, movie ticket sales, and uh, citations of scientific publications. And then they looked at Google Trends, Reddit, and Wikipedia. And they basically saw that... um, everything tended to decrease a little. So um, for instance, in 2013, a hashtag stayed yes. on top in the top 50 for an average of 17.5 hours. And by 2016, it was only 11.9 hours. Huh. So hashtags go down and some of the other stuff wasn't statistically significant.
2: This is a caveat. So our attention spans are shrinking societally as a people's, is that bullshit? Bullshit. All right, total I love, bullshit. I love a nice, I love a nice clean one. <laughs> Maria Konnikova is the author of The Confidence Game and the forthcoming The Biggest Bluff. Maybe you saw her at the World Series of Poker. I mean, if you were there, that's what, that's what she plays cards for a living. She has to pay attention to hand after hand after hand. Yeah, sometimes and the hopefully clubs,
0: sometimes you the guys the will arts. pay attention to the biggest bluff for a week after week after week. Thank you, Maria. <laughs> Thank you, Mike.
2: We all live in the worst timeline. The world is an unalloyed hellscape. How could you bring children into this world? Yeah, well, suck on this one. We cured Ebola. There is a cure for Ebola. Woo the F who. Here's the BBC. Scientists working with the World Health Organization say more than 90% of infected people can survive if treated early with the most effective drugs. The BBC continued on with its interview of Jean-Jacques Meembed, one of the lead scientists who discovered the cure in African, by the way. This is a breakthrough.
0: Yeah, yes, it is. Yeah, it is very important because, as you know, Ebola has no, no cure, no no vaccine. So this is the biggest news
2: of this year. It is, it is a breakthrough, and it is amazing. On the other hand, we still do have Ebola Ebola, one of the worst diseases imaginable, has killed 1,800 people in a horrible, horrible way. Your body basically eats itself. And the cure isn't a vaccine. You have to seek treatment early. And if you don't get it, you still have Ebola. But still, maybe one day, and that day is closer now than we ever thought, Ebola will join the world of the treatable disease, the disease that we've all but eradicated. Diseases like yellow fever, maltheria, rinderpest, and hookworm. Yet, you know, we all take these achievements and these eradications for granted. How for granted? Well, I just made up one of the aforementioned diseases and it wasn't rinderpest, it was maltheria, hmm. It doesn't matter how many lives we save or the marvels of science, Cue the depressive, cynic, the real-life Daria droning on about what's the point. We've left an all-but-uninhabitable world marked by diseases, starvation, war, and deprivation. The four horsemen of the apocalypse. We're so sure things are so terrible. How sure are we that they're terrible? I'll tell you how sure. I made up one of those horsemen. Those aren't the four horsemen. It's three of the four horsemen. Deprivation, not a horseman. Sure, it's bad. But the fourth horseman of the apocalypse is conquest. Kind of a weird horseman, right? It's bad for the conquered, but maybe a boon for the conquering. I mean, the other ones, we don't have any sort of positive associations with famine or death. There are no college fight songs with famine in them. Yet Michigan has this. Hail
0: to the Hail to the conqu-
2: Hell to the disease vectors. Hope you find a cure. Die, die, die. So, what I'm saying is, what I'm always saying is, news isn't only bad. To qualify as news, it can be good, or if it is good, it could qualify as the most important news. You should pay attention to all of it. And also know that the stuff that's not even news, just the background noise of gradual improvement, that's real too. Which is why. I went to the BBC's Africa YouTube channel, trying to find a nice uplifting video to really explain how the Ebola cure went down. Here's what I found. This was the first story, the top story on the Africa page of the BBC. Coding cough syrup is causing a plague of addiction across Nigeria. Okay, kind of a downer. But this was the second story. Thousands of women across West Africa have lost their freedom because of a practice called trokoshi and it's still happening. Yeah, that was from a film called My Stolen Childhood, uh, number three in the uh, BBC videos.
1: For months now, images like these have been
0: pouring out of Cameroon on social media. Some show burning villages. Others record acts of torture and killing.
2: Okay, so Africa doesn't seem to be doing that well or the BBC documentary producers realize funding lays in showing the ways in which Africa could be improved. Let us say a little room for improvement. A horseman abatement program is a foot, a hoof. But this is really a positive day. Today is a positive day. So ignore Twitter, because I looked, and trending there is Jeffrey Epstein. Hashtag Trump is a white supremacist. Hashtag protect Terrence K. Williams. No, don't. Come on. The biggest news is that one of the world's most horrific pestilences has been cured. Please pay attention and please be pleased. And that's it for today's show. Pierre bien and Daniel Schrader produce the gist. They choose facts over truth. They choose authenticity over realness. They choose negotiation over diplomacy. And they embrace the call not to hug too much. And what next? Right there on your feed, right now. What next? The changing demographics of the migrants who are fueling the border crisis. The gist. Ben Franklin, who signed the Declaration of Independence, said, we must all hang together or surely we will hang alone. Because Franklin knew that the British were adept executioners. And Ben Franklin didn't want to be very well hung. Am I right, Scranton?